what we've been uh, doing, what I've been doing, uh, the Lord has been using me to to use Second um, Chronicles seven fourteen as a backdrop to the things that we've been talking about. And obviously, we're not going to go back to it, but I'm just going to excuse me bring you up to date as best I can about what we've done with these verses. I'll read it. Uh, and this is Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and I. I uh, coined the message, uh, the title for the message tonight as, And Heal Their Land. And as we go through this, you'll understand why, because he's, uh, in Second Chronicles 14, he's given us four conditions and three promises. The four conditions, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's the if part, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I don't have to tell anybody uh, here tonight or in the sound of my voice that our land is sick. Our land is broken. Our land has fallen and continue to tumble. And we know, and we'll use some scripture tonight to, I pray that it would encourage us, what that really means, what heal land means. But I'll just go back and give you, bring you up to date on where we went with these, uh, these other uh, conditions. Uh, the first one says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And we talked about humility, humbleness, and we use as a backdrop Psalm 138. Humble the, themselves, Psalm 138. Then we talked talking about pray. Uh, and we use Matthew 26, 36 through 46 for that. And we talked about when the disciple says, teach us to pray. And once he teaches you to pray, he doesn't necessarily have to go back and tell you how to pray. He doesn't say, pray five times a day facing east. He doesn't do that. You know, he does make reference to the secret closet, but he still grants free will. It doesn't tell you how many times. It doesn't tell you how many scriptures you've got to intermix with your prayer. It doesn't tell you how long the prayer has to be. None of that. Teach us to pray. So we use Matthew 26, 36 through 46 for that. Seek my face. We use Psalm 139, and we talked about what that really means to seek his face. And last week, uh, we learned, uh, we talked about turn from their wicked ways, and we use Psalm 140, we actually got all the way into 142, just gleaning some nuggets from those verses. Uh, now, if my people, and that if, that's a big little word, and it, 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 it denotes a, a, a choice. It denotes free will. You haven't, you've got options here. You can choose to go down the narrow road or the wide road or the broad road. Those are your choices, but he's never going to take that away from you. Some Bible scholars look at this. It says, when my people who are called by my name. But I look at this as an if and then. I'm giving you these choices. Here are the three conditions. Here are the four conditions, and here are the three promises. So that's where we are right now. So tonight, uh, I'm just going to uh, combine here from heaven Forgive their sin and heal their land. I'm going to attempt to combine those. It might be kind of a challenge, but 
It's okay. The Lord's got it. And and in what we see in the in the beginning is what does that prayer mean by my people? What does that mean as opposed to your people? And I'm going to give you some examples in scripture of the difference how he talked about my people and your people in some scripture and how he talked about my people in a lot of scripture. But majority of the time he was referring to Israel. But that's okay because there's nothing that he did for Israel that he won't do for us. Nothing. He says he's not a respecter of person, so I'm relying on that. And he talks about that, but it doesn't mean that we take liberties and do what Israel did and expect to, for things to turn around the way it did. There's no guarantee of that. Uh, in Exodus 6, 7, it says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And we can substitute that word Egyptians for the government, the power that be, uh, a, 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 an organization, a, a Congress that's dictating where you go, when you go, why you go, what you eat, what you don't eat, what you drink, what you don't drink, and on and on and on. And the, the issue with that is if we're not careful, if we become too passive, then those demands are going to keep climbing. And we can see that. You know, everybody in this room, I like to think, knows something about what's going on out there. And so you can see that. You can see how these demands can escalate if we allow. And even at this point, we become passive in so many ways until we're allowing the powers that be to rule us with fear. And that's one of the worst things that we can do. Because once they start to rule with fear and they know that we got some control when we do that, so let's ramp it up. And I won't give any more examples of that, even though we, we did talk about some in the past. It was one of these other lessons, but we're just going to move on from that. Exodus 3.10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the Lord speaking, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And there's a, a real emphasis on that in whatever your stronghold is, whatever your Egypt is, wherever your Egypt is, he will bring you out of it. Trust him. Only trust, only believe, and he will bring you out of that. Exodus 8.21, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants on your people. Now, these are God's people, and these are Pharaoh's people. Vastly different. And we all know that. So he's saying, this is what, if you don't let my people go, then this is what I'm going to do to your people. And we don't want to be there. And in Exodus 8.21, else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses. Swarms of flies into your houses. Hmm. I will make a, dif a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will be. And he will, he will, he's, he's already drawn a line between my people and your people in this particular instance. Now, I must encourage you, if you're taking notes, please read these scriptures in context. It's very important. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is because there was some question as to the 
this lady felt that as long as she was praying and seeking his face, then everything was going to be okay. And that's not true. And and I like to think everybody here knows that. You, I, I like to think most of you guys or all of you guys are seasoned Christians, knowing that because the Lord is, serv- is sovereign, he loves you. Because the Lord is sovereign, he chastens you. And don't think just because we're doing all the right things that he's going to bless us. He's going to keep us on the mountaintop as opposed to the valley. doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't. That would be nice if it did, but because he's sovereign, uh, literally in a worldly saying, you've got to take the good with the bad, our definition of good and bad. So read these in context, please. Exodus 9, 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. That's us. And we, in most cases, we fall right into this group with Pharaoh. My people and I are wicked. And, and with all due respect to everyone here and everyone within the sound of my voice, really be careful with this because don't feel condemned. I said last week, uh, you know, we're wrapped in flesh. I use the word bacon, so, but, you know, we are. And so we are prone to wander, prone to leave the one we love. And that's not what we want to be. Leviticus 26, 12, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. That's where we want to be. We want to walk with him. We want to listen to him. We want to talk with him. We want to understand. So let's be there. Let's be about our father's business. 1 Samuel 9, 17 So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people, God's people. Let's be among those numbers. Let's be among that 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 multitude. Let's be among that remnant that he's created and sustained. Let's fall under the category of God's people, not just the world's people. It's a challenge. But we can do it. Second Kings 25, 20 and 5. Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Surely I will hear you. His promises are yea and amen. So you can rest assured, if it be his will, that he will heal you. Uh, The other question that got asked to me, well, do we all have a thorn in the flesh? I can't answer that. I can't answer that simply because I do. I have a thorn in the flesh. I pray that the Lord would take it away. And, And I won't tell you what it is, but think about yourself. What is it that you struggle so, so much with on a daily basis? What monopolizes your time? What is a stumbling block for your service with the Lord? What gets in the way? Uh, as our sister was singing tonight, I, I, I jotted it down. Uh, actually, I got to read it uh, because uh, it just made me think about it. The song was, um, well, the words were, I'm falling on my knees 
offering all of me. And I, looked, I listened to that. I'm thinking, I'm falling on my knees because I'm not offering all of me. And, you know, there's a song that I think most of us have heard if we've been going to church for at least two weeks. It's called I Surrender All. And it's like, whoa, wait, I can't sing that with you, bro. Because, I mean, that's just flat out lying. Do we surrender all? Do some of us have baggage? Are some of us carrying baggage even as we sit here? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, everybody that I see is carrying baggage. Some people I don't know, but that's okay. Unless they can come and say otherwise and mean it with their hearts. Richard, you're way wrong, man. I got no baggage. But I'm looking out and, and there's some no question about it. Present company included. And in the, it says in, the, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, Now I will hear from heaven. It refers to intercession, which our Lord is communicating or having fellowship with the Father. Re, um, intercession. And some, some scriptures that, that I'd like to, to mention just to encourage you is Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We've got them. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Lord, I, I, I know what my heart wants to say, but I just can't find the words. He said, that's okay. You don't have to say the words. I know your heart. I know your struggles. I know your weaknesses. I want to make those weaknesses into strength. I want to make that strength into meekness. Strength under authority, a strength under control. That's what he wants to do. But you gotta, you got to work with me here because, because I've granted you free will. I'm not going to take away that strength and just make it a weakness. I'm not going to take away that weakness and make it a strength unless we're into, in this together. Are you praying for it? Are you earnestly praying for that? Are you earnestly praying that he would take it away or give it to you depending on whatever? And it's still his will. I think that I'm going to allow you to struggle with that weakness for a while longer. And the reason for that is now I want you to become more dependent on me. I want you to, to commit yourself to uh, something stable in your life. I, wanna, I want you to struggle with this because I love you. Well, that really doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, that's how our God is. He doesn't always do things that we think make sense. And if you're going to be like Job, you might want to think about your question to him and when you question him. Romans 8:27. Now he who searches a heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This key word is his will. His will. Are you praying that his will be done in your life? Are you praying that he would give you what you want or take away what you don't want? Lord, if it be your will, take this away. Lord, if it be your will, impute this in my life. That's how we need to pray. Romans 8.34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's making intercession, folks. When you pray to the Lord, he's in tune with the Father. And our wishes, our wants, our desires are not always going to be granted. But by that, you should say, praise the Lord. How many among us have prayed for things that would absolutely, I know a couple of people personally in this room who pray for things that would absolutely destroy them. If I gave you that item, that toy, you would absolutely destroy yourself. You know who you are. Uh, we've done it with uh, uh, things, stuff, things. We've done it with people. You know, I, I just always have to mention because I know it's something that we can relate to. We prayed for a certain relationship with another humankind, and that's always risky. Because we think we know. We think they're going to make our lives better. We think they're going to uh, 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 bring joy and happiness into our lives. And the Lord says, I see the heart of that person that you're striving for. And he says, no. So what he'll do is he'll change the conditions or he'll give you an opportunity to. You, can't, you can never see the heart, but you can see the person in their true colors. And they say, oh, my goodness, I'm really glad that I found out about that before I made that decision. It's the Lord, my friends. It's the Lord. And he will do that for us. He's done it for some of us. Hebrews 7.25, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always likes to make intercession for them, interceding, interceding. Going into the Father, yeah, I got this, 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 this Christian person who really, really wants to be delivered from this area of sin. What say you, God? Well, let's, let's let them struggle with that a little bit longer because this is going to have a huge impact on their lives from this day forward. Or let's remove this person, and we'll talk about that later, uh, Spiritual growth through separation. And the reason I'm saying for later, because we're going to talk about when he's healing the land, some of the things that he does, some of the people that he uses. And tonight, the two characters from the Bible, uh, I hate to use that word, but we'll go with it. Two characters from the Bible that we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about Sam Ballot, as in Nehemiah, how he, and, and we'll, we'll get, I'll give some details on, on how he was the, the, he was against healing the land, in a sense. But as I said earlier, please read the, the, the uh, scripture I'm going to give you in context. And then on the other side, we're going to talk about Barnabas as son of encouragement. So you're going to see some, some trade-offs for what the, the, for Sanballat's attitude toward Nehemiah, and you're going to see some compromises or some some goodness out of uh, Barnabas's uh, relationship with the uh, with the Lord and with everybody that was around him and we'll we'll give some names for that uh, forgive their sins he will do that we know that sins forgive their sin singular not sins that's a different different term biblically speaking forgive their sin 
Jeremiah 7, 16 said, Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear them. This is the verse that, that I'm really talking about. Read this verse. If you've taken notes, read this verse in context. Wait a minute. What are you saying that the Lord said, don't pray for these people? Why would he ever do that? And we could go into it, but not here, not now. Read it. Read that uh, Jeremiah seven sixteen in context and to get a better understanding of what this is saying. I read it again. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me. I will not hear them. That's not the heart of the Lord that we know, is it? Could we keep in mind, friends, that he's sovereign. And there are times when he'll take his hand off. And some of us, some among us have said he's already done that with the, the country we call America. You guys want to live like that? Okay. Have at it. You want to live in a godless society? It's all yours. You don't want to acknowledge me in anything? You take away prayer? You take away uh, carrying the Bible in public? You take away the things that, even being, call, even being able to call yourself Christian? You want to take away that? Okay, I'm going to let you have it. I will give you some warnings. I will, well, let's see, I'll throw 9-11 at them and see how they respond. Oh, Look at them flock back to the church. What's going on there? Okay. So we go back to living the way we've always lived after a while. It's never going to be the same. So let's, uh, let's try this coronavirus thing. See how they react to that. I'm going to take away all the things that they depend on. I'm going to take away their dependence on their 401k. I'm going to take away their dependence on their friends being able to fellowship with friends face-to-face. I'm going to take away their ability to go to church the way they normally would. I'm going to take away a lot of things that they're dependent on. They're dependent on going to, to the grocery store and being able to choose whatever they want. I'm going to take that away just for a season and see how they react. And after this is over, I'm going to see if they return to the way they were. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hmm. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-four. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all should know. They, sh- they all should know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember no more. This is a stark contrast to what he said before. I, I'm not going to, don't pray for them. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to heal them. I'm not going to heal their land. I'm just going to let the land remain sick, poor, broken, starving, thirsty. I'm going to allow that. And now, in another verse, he says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. I will cast it as far as east is from west. That's what he's saying. So why the difference? Why, why, did, did God change his heart? So is he a respecter of persons? God forbid. He's not. He's sovereign, ladies and gentlemen. And on that word, uh, don't bother to look that up in your, 
King James, the New King James, it's not there. The word sovereign is not there. It's only in the Old Testament. But the word Lord is in its place. Capital L-O-R-D as opposed to sovereign. He is Lord over all. He is sovereign over all. And that means he can't lie. He can't change. He's the same. He responds to the situation as love dictates. God is love. So everything he does or doesn't do by our interpretation, all about love. If it be his will, God, God would not forgive their sin because he is sovereign. If it be his will, God will forgive their sin because he is sovereign. Doesn't change. He will heal our land if it be his will because he is sovereign. Zechariah eleven sixteen. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that will stand, that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. What's loving about that? Read it. Read it in context. Zechariah eleven sixteen, and understand why God, that's his heart for this particular situation. He's still loving, but because he's sovereign, there are times when, as we define it, he's loving, and there are times as we define it that he's not. But keep in mind that just because we define it that way doesn't make it right. He's always a loving God. He can't help it. God is love. End of story. Now, let's talk about Sam Ballot, as, it, as referred to in uh, Nehemiah. Sam Ballot, his name means prickly shrubs or enemy in secret. Enemy in secret, prickly shrub. What's a prickly shrub? The, the thing that we can all probably relate to is a rose. Oh, that's so beautiful. Look at it, nice and red. I'm just going to grab it. Ooh, there's thorns in there. Didn't know that. That's what a prickly shrub is. It looks so good. You just want to grab it. You just want to touch. Danger, Will Robinson. Don't touch. And that's what his name, Enemy of Secret, because he was the enemy of God's people. But read it because just like Saul, he thought he was doing what was in the best interest of the Lord. And then how God took him and turned him around. But that doesn't happen in Nehemiah. But it's just that he had a he had he was on a mission. He was on a mission to do what he thought was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he didn't realize until later that it was not godly. He didn't edify the Lord by doing what he did. Uh, he, uh, Sam Ballot was the governor of Samaria, which put in a, him in a position to make a lot of decisions, and a lot of those decisions were bad decisions. And when I thought about that, I, I couldn't help but think about the term governor and what that means to us today, regardless of how you feel. 
What was interesting, uh, when in this enemy in secret, even though Sam Ballot was doing what was not right in the eyes of the Lord, and this is sort of an aside, but one of his sons was named Yahweh, God of Israel. And it just goes to show you that we can't always go by what we see, what we think, because the enemy is secret. In, the, in this room right now, we got secret agent Christians. We got Christians in this room that are in the workforce, and their coworkers don't know they're Christians. Yeah, I know this. That shouldn't be, folks. There are no secret agent Christians. All or nothing. Don't, pre- don't, play, don't, don't play church. Don't play being a Christian. Don't play with God. Be real. Are you hiding that light under a bushel? If he wants to change, if he wants to heal our land, we make it very difficult because you're not being true to yourself. You're certainly not being true to me. If I put you in a position where you're able to minister to my people and your heart is not right, then you're not going to honor me in every, all your doings. You're not going to. You can't. Your ambitions are mostly selfish. So he's not going to put you in a position to heal his land because he knows that you're not true to the cause. When I talked to you guys last week, I talked about being sold out and how important that is. Not just to be sometimes, I'm, I'm a Christian at church, but it's kind of difficult to be a Christian around, around my friends. I'm not in the advice business, but all I would say was you need to find new friends. You're not alone. I'm there. Not something I'm boasting about, but it's just a fact of life. There are times when you want to be accepted. You want to be a part of the crew. And so we do things. We make compromises that we shouldn't make. We do things. We go places that we shouldn't go under the guise of fitting in. But he's told us in his word to not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the power of your mind. Let that heart be changed. I want my, my friends and family to know that I love the Lord. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm not saying me. I'm saying we. We can't afford to be ashamed of the gospel. Nehemiah 2.10. When Samballot the Horonite and Tobias the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So, so you're telling me that even though I'm doing something good, there's going to be opposition? Yes. Yes. And, and, and when, I, when I say this, and yeah, we've got that even at church. And I say we've got that especially at church. I look at it totally differently. Not even at church, especially at church. You're trying to do something good. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're trying to be upright. And you've got the naysayers on the sidelines, criticizing, complaining, moaning. It's there. It's just something that we have to be in prayerful about, be in prayer about, and ask that the Lord would strengthen our heart. Because it's never going to stop. You're all, and it just seems like some people, that's their mission in life. 
I can take that smile off of your face by just a few words. And sometimes they can. Be prayerful about that. Nehemiah 2.19, but when Samballot, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official said, Geshem, the Arab, heard of that they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? You're going to rebel against the king just to serve your God? Yeah. Absolutely. Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. This is, you know, and it's just one of those things that, that I really want you guys to understand the seriousness of this and stop giving anyone credit for being a Christian just because they go to church. And I'm not asking you to judge. Look for the fruit. If this person is approaching you, are they more inclined to give you something negative or something positive? And I'm not saying we all got to be goody two-shoes, always got to have something nice to say. Measure, measure the, the fruit. Quantify the fruit in their lives and ask yourself, does this person really represent the God that I serve? And then now you have to make a decision. Choose to stay who you will serve. Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2. But it also happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brother in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they review the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? Being critical. But I'm doing the Lord's work. Why would you want to criticize me? That's their mission in life. They're out there. Hmm. Nehemiah 4, 7. Now what happened when Sambal and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, uh, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Why? We're, we're just we're helping to remodel the church. Why would anybody be opposed? We're just going out in the community doing mission work. Why would anybody be opposed to that? We're just having a Bible study outside in the parking lot. Why would anyone be opposed? That's what's happening here. That's what's happening. Hmm. <sighs> Nehemiah 6. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and they were, there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Well, you know, if we got him away from his crew and we roughed him up a little bit, you know, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he won't go through with this dastardly deed. Maybe he'll just stop building the wall, send the people home. That was their intention. Nehemiah 6.12, then I perceived that God had not sent him. Oh, these guys want to rough me up. I'm thinking the Lord probably didn't send him to do that. 
wild guess, but I'm feeling pretty sure that I'm right on this one. Hmm. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambala had hired him. So this wasn't the Lord's doing. This was someone just out to destroy something that was good, something that they didn't want to see happen. Nehemiah 6.14, my God, remember Tobiah and Sambala according to these, their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. The idea was to instill fear. And we all know that fear can be controlling. Fear can be bondage. Fear can be a thing that makes us question whether we should make decisions for ourselves or should we depend on the powers that be. Fear. Fear. I can manipulate them with fear. I can tell them what's going to happen if they do this. I can tell them what's going to happen if they don't do this. Fear. This is what's happening here. And it's possible it could happen to us. Don't know. Don't know. How you living? Are you fearful about the world around you right now? Are you making decisions based on talking heads? Are you making decisions based on what the governor says, what the president says? Or are you seeking the Lord's Lord's advice? And when we talked about uh, seeking his advice and and turning from our wicked ways, we talked about uh, when we need a direction, when we need to know which way to turn, which way to go, we depend on a map. And today, I I would dare to say all of us have GPS. So what what we're going to do with that is we're going to say, okay, we need GPS. We need God's providential spirit. God's providential spirit is our GPS. That's what we need to rely on. Not waiting for someone uh, to give us a signal and say it's okay to resume the way we used to live. Use the Lord's GPS. Listen to him. Talk to him. Pray to him. Seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. Nehemiah 13, 28. And one of the sons of Jordiah, the son of Elishab, Elishab, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambal the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. He drove him away. So my, my, my line to you, you guys and, and us, don't let the spirit of Sanballat distract you. And right now, a lot of us are subjected to allowing the spirit of Sanballat. You can't do that. You can't go here. You can't go there. You got to do this. You got to do that. Don't let the spirit of Sanballat distract us. Now, on the other side, We have a man by the name of Barnabas. Some of us have heard of him. He was called the son of encouragement or the son of consolation. Positive aspects of the Christian brethren. In Acts 9.27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. And they had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, 
preaching God's word, understanding God's will, God's way, and, and reacting or being proactive to that. Acts eleven twenty two. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Paul, to seek Saul, excuse me. 30. Which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. A godly man. Integrity. A word that we hadn't talked about to this point. Integrity. Paul. Saul. Saul and Barnabas had integrity, especially Barnabas at this, at this juncture. And he was trusted. He was trusted by the people. So they had no trouble knowing that this was a righteous man. And he, he showed that not just in his words, but in his deeds. He was not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. That's where we want to be. That's where I want to be. That's why I pray that we would all seek that. I want to be a person of integrity. My yea is yea and my nay is nay. Sounds so simplistic. It isn't. It isn't. Not at all. Acts uh, 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So now we're going out. We're, we're, we're creating... This is, remember I say God always has a remnant? So he's taking these little squares, these little patches, Paul and Barnabas, and he's sewn them together. And now he's increasing that remnant. Now he's adding Mark into the mix. So now he's taking that spiritual thread and combining Mark with Paul and Barnabas. These are godly men. I trust them with your life, Mark. I trust that these men are, are living according to the direction for me. In order to heal this land, I got to have people that I can trust. I got to have people who are dedicated to the cause. I got to have people who love me. I got to have people who trust me. Otherwise, my land will never get healed. Acts 13, 2 and 7. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I call them, which Barnabas, uh, which, which uh, was a deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul, and desire to hear the word of God. Are you going to call on someone who doesn't know the word of God? What do you think you want to hear? What are you going to hear from them? Well, this is what I did, so I think you should follow my direction. And not happening. That can only go wrong. God's way. God's GPS system. It's the only way. And so God trusted them, and so he allowed them to team up with others that he wanted to convert as well. He wanted to encourage as well. That's what he's doing. Now, when, uh, Acts 13, 43, when, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious 
uh, proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And, and this is what I was talking about, where spiritual growth through separation. Uh, we thought, okay, those guys are doing great works together. In their mind, that was great. But the Lord saw something different. And when he takes that prayer warrior out of your life, when he takes that person that you're devoted to out of your life, when he takes a person that you can't live without and he causes you to live without them, spiritual growth occurs. And we don't always see that. Sometimes we rail against that. How could you do such a thing? Don't you know I'm in love? Yeah, but in order to love that person, that means you left your first love. And if you remember reading my scripture, remember where it says I'm a jealous God? What did you think that meant? When it said I would have no other God before me, what do you think that meant? Christian, what do you think that meant? Did you take that lightly? He meant it. He is a jealous God. What do you mean when you say, seek ye first the kingdom of God? What about all my stuff? Come on. That's not fair. Well, I'm not fair. I'm sovereign. I'm going to give you what's good for you. I'm going to take away what's not, if it's my will. Acts 14. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mercurius, because he was a chief speaker. Which, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. Verse 20. How be it, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Just passing through. I'm sharing the word of God. And when God says move, I move. When he says stay, I stay. When he says speak, I speak. When he says be quiet, I be quiet. Well, why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. That's why. If you're not obedient, there may be a price to pay, a price that you're not willing to pay. Obey him. Acts 15, and there's a lot here. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barassus, Basarbus, and Silas, chief men among the brethren, men of honor, men of integrity. Men who are walking uprightly. Those who knows that he knows that when he sends them out, that the gospel is going to go forth. It's not going to be what they think. It's not going to be how they feel. It's going to be what the God, word of God says, and that's where we want to be. Huh. Galatians 2.9 and when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, very important, pillars, what does a pillar do? It holds up the building. 
it's a support system. And you guys look at your pastors as pillars. And there's, a, there's some, some spiritual danger involved in that. Because when we put them on a pedestal, that just makes it that much further they have to fall. But in this context, they're the people that you can count on, the people that's going to support you. They're the pillars. And we need that. We want that. Perceive the, the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barabbas, Barabbas, Barnabas, the right hands of fellowship, that we shall go unto the heathen. Are you talking street witnessing? Are you talking about going into the prisons or the jails to minister to these heathens? Lord, come on, man. Really? Give me a break. Yeah. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. They're all precious in his sight. Is that man sitting in prison? Is he loved by God any less than us? Is that woman sitting in jail? Is she of less importance than you and I? Is he our neighbor? Is she our neighbor? So even with that, I need to follow the second commandment? Yeah. You know how difficult that is? Yeah, I'm God. I got a good idea. All right, Lord, if you say so. But I don't really know if I can do this. Are you saying it's impossible? Then you haven't read my word. My word says all things are possible. All things. And any language you translate that in, the word is all. Greek, Roman, still means all. Uh, Colossians 4.10, and we're going to close very shortly. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salute you, and Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he comes unto you, receive him. This is a godly person. This is a godly man. This is a godly woman. I'm going to send them into your lives. I'm giving you a prayer warrior. I'm giving you a person who has a heart for me. I'm going to ask you to trust them. I know their heart. I know they're just not out talking it and not walking it. I'm going to send them to you. And he's done that for everybody here. You're being prayed for right now. Even as we sit here, a lot of us are unaware. Some of us know that there's someone praying and seeking the Lord's face for everyone here and everyone out there in Zoom land. They're praying for us right now. And when we started this off, the Lord says um, he's gone to intercede for us. He's interceding. So whatever your struggle is, whatever that obstacle is that's in your way tonight, ask the Lord's will to be done in that. He's begun a good work. 
and he will be faithful to complete it. We, we must rely on God's providential spirit to guide us. And just remember, he loves you, and his love is unconditional. But, you know, I had a pretty rough day, so I'm not so sure. No, he can't help it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. God is our rock. God is our foundation. God is unshakable. God is trustworthy. And God is solid. Solid. You don't have to wonder. Is he with you? Yes. No matter when, where, or why you ask that question, the answer is always yes. Yes. But he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can he really mean that? Yeah. Yeah, you want proof? There's proof that he will never leave you. Well, sometimes it feels like it because now you're depending on that flesh to dictate how you feel. Flesh wants to rule, my friends. So anytime you bow to the flesh, you're headed in the wrong direction. Allow the spirit to rule your life. No matter what, when, where, or who, allow the spirit to dictate your every move. He cares about you enough to number the hairs on your head. What else can be any more finite than that? We give thanks, O oh Lord, for your mighty blessings. And I just pray, as always, that your word was rightly divided. And if I've said anything, this, this vessel has said anything that, that wasn't put there by you, Father, I pray that if it was a discouragement to our sisters and brothers, that you would erase it right now. I pray that you would just continue to, to lift us up, Father, to draw us closer to you, Father, so that we can understand how much our God really loves us. I know that in and of ourselves, we can't possibly wrap our minds around that. The only way we can get a frame of reference is through human understanding. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. But we can't grasp that, Father. We say we can, but we can't. So I thank you for what you've done. And I pray that if there's anyone here tonight, whether in this building or within the sound of my voice, if there's anyone who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight will be the night of salvation. That they would come running to a friend, an acquaintance, and asking, what must I do to be saved? Someone who knows you, someone who understands that it's so difficult to taste and see that you are good and then to turn away. Our finite minds can't fathom someone who will call themselves a Christian today and then tomorrow will com commit blasphemy. We don't understand that, but you do. So we pray that we would just continue to, to just uh, bask in your word. We pray that we continue to, to marinate in your will. We pray that we continue to be, have it baked in, uh, your word and, and your deeds, Father that we would, our true desire would be to, would, to be more like you. I know we can, but the struggle is, will we? 
only through your spirit, Father, can we be um, transformed. So I pray now for each and every one of us, Father. I pray for my sisters and my brothers individually, and I pray for the church body, and I pray for the body of Christ collectively. May you receive our blessings. May you continue to bless us in ways that are too numerous, too vast to understand. We love you, Lord. And we pray that you would just continue to draw us closer, make us stronger in you. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys.